Our scripture reading for today is 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on behalf of myself, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. You also want to keep a mark on Hebrews 10, verse 24. And while you do that, let us pray together. Father, what a glorious thing it is, a great privilege to be able to address you as Father. You are our loving Father. And anything we know about you as a Father should come from you and from your revelation. Lord, we want to know you. We want to know more about you. We want to experience what it is like to be embraced by you, by grace, through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We want to know what it is like to endure hardships with joy and with a peace that surpasses all understanding because of the mighty work of your Spirit in our lives. Lord, we also want to experience the great joy of being used of you to speak with incredible boldness the excellencies of your name and watching you transform people's lives, making them whole, making them at peace with you. Lord, we are grateful to you for what you have done and accomplished in our lives on the cross. And I pray that we would never lose sight of the cross. We keep our eyes focused 
on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we might worship you with greater intensity. That we might love you with greater fervor. And that we might indeed apply your word with greater frequency. Oh God, how we need you and how we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today concludes our four-part series, Live 13 on Anger. And uh, I hope you're not angry about it. We've walked through what it, that anger is treason, that it doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. We've talked about the different species of anger and how many ways that it infects and affects our lives. Last week, Pastor Mark just gave us some incredible counsel from God's Word on how we address and deal with anger personally. And today we want to close with how do we address the angry situations and the angry people in our lives And the outline today is based on two questions. One, how do we, or what do we do in the heat of the moment? What do we do in the heat of the moment? When things have been ratcheted up, and the anger is there, and the speech is there, and the moment is there, what do we do in the heat of that moment? And then secondly, what do we do to help others change? People in our lives that we know that are struggling, wrestling with anger, may be caught in that trespass of anger. How do we come alongside them and what do we do to help them? What do we do to minister to them and to love on them and to care for them and to stand by them? And so I want to do my best this morning to answer those questions from God's Word. And so as we address this first question, what do we do in the heat of the moment? The very first thing that we want to do is we want to prepare our hearts. We must prepare our hearts for those moments. We must understand that these moments are going to occur. They are going to happen. Now, we don't always plan for them in the sense that you don't look at your daily calendar. And I doubt many of you, husbands and wives and families, if you sit down and maybe you have a a weekly calendar time where you sit down and you map out what do we have going on this week, I doubt if many of you will put down on there Thursday, 4 o'clock, uh, in 20 seconds, we are going to have an angry moment. Okay. But the point is, is, is they come uh, often when we don't expect it. If we're engaged in any way in the lives of other people, we're going to face these issues. And so as we prepare our hearts, let me suggest four ways that we can prepare our hearts. One is resolve to seek to do good to others. Resolve to seek to do good to others. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In other words, you are resolving that if you are to face and when you face those situations, in the heat of the moment, you are resolving not to repay evil for evil. No matter how tempted you are, you want to repay, not repay evil for evil, but to seek to do Good. It is amazing how tempted we are to respond in like kind to people. Sometimes we don't even know why we're angry. We're just angry because the other person seems to be angry. 
right? That kind of conversation that goes on and says, well, I can't believe you said that. That was a little bit embarrassing. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Hey, you don't need to get angry. Hey, I'm only angry because you're angry, right? There's no reason. It's just simply, well, you're angry, so I'm angry, period. Okay. And, and, and there's that, that's our temptation. And so we have to, in preparing our hearts for those moments, we have to resolve that we are only going to do good. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. That's counterintuitive, right? Our enemies, we want to go back at them. Those who hate us, we want to attack them. Those who curse us, we want to cause harm. And those who abuse us, man, by all means, we don't want to be praying for them. We don't want anything good to happen to them. It's counterintuitive, but Jesus says we love them, we do good to them, we bless them, and we pray for them. Secondly, we must resolve to be a peacemaker. In preparation and preparing our hearts for those moments, we must resolve that I'm going to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. See, we have received the peace of God in our own hearts. And we want to bring peace to others. We were ones who made peace between people and we are also those who spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Wanting others to be at peace with God. Hebrews 12.14 says this. It says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What that means is we have to make every effort for peace. The word translated strive in the ESV is used elsewhere to mean persecute. It's the idea of tracking someone down for the purpose of finding them, of getting them. And so it entails fervor and effort. And that's the idea for striving for peace. We are to apply that kind of aggression, that kind of energy, that kind of, of diligence toward peace. It's likened to the Canadian Mountie who always gets his man. We strive. We go for it. We do everything within our power by the grace of God to live peaceably with all people. And that means that we don't say things like, you know, the next time they speak to me that way, I'm just going to let them have it, right? Maybe some of you have had those conversations and somebody says, you know, the next time they do that, and you go, yeah, what? You know, what are you going to do? But the whole point is that's not the speech of someone who's resolved in their hearts to be a peacemaker, that's someone who, who just simply wants to get somebody back or, or who wants to attack another person. But it's certainly not someone who is a peacemaker. And so we must resolve to be a peacemaker. Another way we prepare our hearts is we have a redemptive mindset. We have a redemptive mindset. We must see every situation as an opportunity for the gospel. First Corinthians 15, or first, second, sorry, second Corinthians 5 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so, as we have compassion for the person, whether they are a believer or not a believer, we seek their redemption. We, we seek to portray the gospel. If they are a non-believer, then they are merely acting natural to who they are as an unregenerate person. And we must have compassion on them. All too often, we take it too serious. We love ourselves too much. And that anger that that person is spewing onto us, we take personal. 
And, and we forget about that redemptive mindset. We, we forget about the goal that we have, the Great Commission, and we forget about the ministry of reconciliation in those moments. We have to prepare our hearts and have a redemptive mindset and look at those opportunities that we want to love that person to the cross. See, let us never forget that the battle is not against flesh and blood. Another way to prepare your heart is consider the joy of dealing with angry people. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, this is a troubling passage at times. And there's a lot of speculation as to, okay, well, how do I apply that? I mean, in what way do I have joy in the midst of these trials? You know, some of us will say things like, does that mean I just go, (sighs) going through a trial today? Okay, I mean, is that what we do? Do we need to commission Eric to write a praise song about going through trials? I mean, is that the deal? No. But look at, if you think about the passage, what it says is this. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Do you want steadfastness? I hope you do. It's an essential quality to spiritual growth. Without steadfastness, we don't grow. Without steadfastness, we do not become more like Christ. We need steadfastness. Do you want steadfastness? Know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you want to be perfect and complete? Do you want the finished work of Christ in your life? Do you want to become more like Christ? Have you ever stopped to consider the great joy that we have in this life as being ones who have been called out by grace? We have this incredible joy of becoming more like Jesus Christ. By the way, you know who He is? He's the Creator of the earth! He's the creator of everything. And He's the one who gives us this incredible privilege to become more like. What an incredible joy that is. And so that is why then I can count it all joy when I face various trials. And that means I can resolve in my heart to consider it joy of dealing with angry people. And we practice this all the time, right? I mean, we push through painful workouts, right? Just for success and results. Men, we gut out chick flicks for the result of a happy wife. (laughs) Women, you have struggled with childbirth for the joy of that beautiful baby. And Jesus... For the joy set before Him endured the cross. See, this is applied all the time. So, preparing our hearts is absolutely necessary. We need to prepare for these moments. We must be ready for them. And when that moment occurs, then we will have to practice self-control. We will have to practice self-control. You look in the text here in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. The word says that a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. See, when someone is, when we're in that heated moment, we want to go toe-to-toe and tit-for-tat. 
We're, we're tempted to defend ourselves. And harsh words are what we are tempted to use. The word for harsh here relates to physical pain or emotional sorrow. And at times, if, if you will, you can liken it to the fact that someone has just whipped out their tongue gun and they've shot at you. And so you want to whip out your tongue gun and shoot back. And that's the idea of those harsh words, that they're designed to really just strike back at somebody. It's designed to cause pain. We want it to hurt. And the outcome is that tempers flare. A harsh word stirs up anger. In harsh words, we basically just keep the heated moment going. And I appreciate the Proverbs and a lot of poetry uh, because it gives us incredible pictures that are memorable. And so I, I often think about Proverbs 30, 33. It says, For pressing milk produces curds. Pressing the nose produces blood. And pressing anger produces strife. In other words, what do you think is going to happen? If you press milk, what do you think happens? You get curds. You keep on pressing on the nose, what do you think is going to happen? Well, eventually it's going to bleed. And if you keep pressing anger, what do you think will happen? Strife. Do we really expect the anger to die down when we use harsh words? Harsh words are not the words that a peacemaker uses. That they're not the words of someone who loves others more important than he loves himself. But in contrast, a soft answer or response turns away wrath. And the word here for turn away, turns away wrath, the word for turn away is often translated as repent. And so it's the idea that a soft answer will actually take that wrath and the wrath will do a 180 and go toward peace. Now, what is the method for bringing this U-turn about? He says it right there. It's a soft answer. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean a quiet answer. So it's not necessarily somebody's just responded to you in anger and you say, Oh, okay. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. The word here for a soft answer, it means a tender response. It means a loving response. It means a patient response. It means a kind response. Now, will this always work? No, it will not. But this is the God-honoring, Christ-like method for turning away wrath. This is how we help others cool down. At the end of a heated moment, it is not the issue of whether or not you succeeded in cooling it down because you took a roll of duct tape and you just taped their mouth shut, right? Success! Okay, no. The point is, is did I use God's method? Would God be pleased? Was God honored? Was that a Christ-like way of responding in the heat of the moment? Did I respond with tenderness? Did I respond with love? Did I respond with kindness? In the heat of the moment, again, we will be tempted to go toe-to-toe. And we'll also be tempted just to merely clam up. Sometimes we just acquiesce, right, and give in. Parents, we do that sometimes. We just give in. I just want them to stop, right? Fear is involved. 
So is a love of comfort. So instead of climbing up, we, we, we need to consider how do we respond tenderly. And we learn what to say by listening. By listening. See, the next thing we need to do in the heat of the moment is we need to pay attention to what they are saying. We must pay attention to what they are saying. James 1 reminds us, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know how much unbiblical anger is actually comes out of misunderstandings? Right? We think someone said something and that makes us angry. And then we, we ask them, you know, wow, you really think that? Oh, no, that's not what I meant. This is what I meant. No, you didn't. See, right then our pride rears up because we don't want to be proven wrong. See, we know what they said. We know what they meant. And we don't want to be proven wrong. So now the anger just continues. And the moment just continues to go and go and go. And what is it based on? What, you ever had those moments where you're like, what in the world are we angry about? You ever had those? I've had them. And you just sit there going, wow, we're angry for the sake of anger. Pretty much. Because no one can remember. And oftentimes the anger derives from misunderstandings. It derives from things that don't even exist. Anyone ever, have any of you guys ever bought tickets to a, a win wrestling championship? Have you ever thought about somebody wrestling the wind to the ground? Yeah, that's kind of what it's like when we choose to get into arguments and we ratchet up this anger issue on things that don't even exist. It's wrestling the wind. And there's no need for it. And it's a pure, absolute pure waste of time. And so we must listen. We must listen. We have to remember that although what they are saying is coming in some bad packaging... Okay? In other words, they're, they're, they are behaving toward us in a sinful way. That doesn't mean that we all of a sudden are not obligated to listen. That we're not obligated to care for them. We're not obligated to love them. See, sometimes we, we mess up our thinking in that, you know, while they're sinning against me, I'm justified in any sin that I actually do during that period of time. And that's not the case. And so we have to really work at denying ourselves and loving them and loving God is more important and considering them more important in the heat of those moments and listen to what they're saying and making certain that we understand what they're saying. It's amazing how when you choose not to defend yourself, but you actually choose to listen to them and seek to understand them, even in the midst of a heated moment, how much that does to cool a situation down. And that's how we love each other. And while we are listening, we need to pinpoint our part. We need to examine ourselves and pinpoint any part that we may have played in sinning against the angry person. Matthew 7 reminds us to take the log out of our own eye first and the reason that that has to be there is because in our sinful tendencies, we love to magnify what other people have done and minimize what we have done. Just think about a typical playground incident, right? Child comes up to you. Oh, Joey hit me. He hit me. How did he hit you? What happened? Oh, he took a piece of wood and he just smacked me right upside the head. Wow. What did you do? I took a little rock and I just threw it at him. Just 
just kind of tossed it his way. Really. You know, and you come to find out that what Joey basically did was he accidentally threw a twig on them and, and, and this child took a big old rock like that and threw it as hard as they could. Right? Maximize what the other person did. Minimize. You don't think that's true? Just come and live in my household for just a moment. Right? Four kids. I see a lot of maximizing and very little and a lot of minimizing. Okay? It happens. We do that even in our own lives. Whenever we report a situation to somebody, we typically maximize what the other person done and minimize what we have done. In this situation, when we're dealing with an angry person, we're in the heat of the moment, we need to humble ourselves and we need to realize that there's a likelihood that we too have sinned in this and we need to humble ourselves and we need to confess it and we need to ask for forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in the heat of the moment and that person is sinning against me, one of the last things I want to do is admit my wrong and ask for their forgiveness. But that is exactly what Jesus would have us do. See, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. And while they are sinning, we humble ourselves. We examine and notice our part and we confess. And so in the heat of the moment, we prepare for it by preparing our hearts. We practice self-control using soft words. We pay attention to what they are saying, being quick to listen. We pinpoint our part. We deal with any sin we may have committed. And then we persist in showing love. Part of our love for one another entails bearing with one another. It's that just continual aspect of loving them in the midst of this heated moment. In those moments, we trust and we depend on God to give us the strength that we need to endure this and to do it right. And that we never tire of doing good. And as you think about the passage that was read this morning, Second Corinthians chapter 12, that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. You know, Paul says that here is this messenger of Satan, this thorn in my flesh, which could have been a person, may have been a physical ailment, but could have been a person, this messenger of Satan to harass me. And the like, and, and, and when we get into those heated moments, I mean, the knee-jerk reaction is, get me out of here! Or, or get this person out of here! I don't want to be in this situation anymore. And many of us don't even engage in relationship with too many people because we know there's the possibility we're going to sin against each other. And I don't want to deal with that. But what was the counsel that Jesus gave? Yes, Paul, right away. I'm going to just get rid of it. Instead, he says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, my grace is what you need. You may think you need it removed. You may think you need to get out of that situation. But what I'm really telling you is what you really need is my grace. And my grace is sufficient for you to address and deal with this situation in a way that's going to bring honor and glory to my name. And in a way where you will become more like me. And you will accomplish the righteousness of God. And you will indeed proclaim the excellencies of my name. In these moments we entrust ourselves to God and we determine by His grace to love the person more than ourselves. 
We use God's methods for dealing with angry people and we trust Him for the results. And so that gives us five actions that we can do to deal with those heated moments. And now I want to address the second question. What do we do to help angry people change? What do we do in the long term to help angry people change? Well, the first thing we need to do is care for them. We need to care for them. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, there are times when people are caught in a trespass of anger. Sometimes they're not even aware of it. I don't know about you, but when I first was made aware of my own problem with anger, there had been many years that had gone by that I just simply wasn't aware. I had been blinded by the effects of my sin. I was truly caught in a trespass. And when we're caught in a trespass, we're, we're not operating in the way that we should operate. And that's why as caring, bearing with, patient, loving brothers and sisters in Christ, we come alongside the person who is caught in that trespass and we seek to restore them. That word for restore is the idea of, re- of resetting a broken bone. It also has the idea, talking about James and John as fishermen, it has the idea of them mending their nets. It's, it's putting something back into full functioning order. And that's what we want to do with each other. We don't want people limping along. We want to restore each other and help each other. And we do it in a spirit of gentleness. Caring for one another. Bearing with each other's burdens. Coming alongside. Helping each other fight the fight of faith. That we might all grow up together in Christ. That we don't want anyone to suffer loss. And so caring for each other also means that we confront when appropriate. We confront them when appropriate. This is the second godly deed that we do. Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And, and I, I mean confront when appropriate because in the heat of the moment, often is not the time to confront. Right? When you're in the heat of the moment and then you say, You know, you're always angry. Yeah, that's not going very far. But when things have cooled down, that's why we talked to this and I wanted to handle it under this question and under this heading because this is a long-term process. Sometimes we think we love someone by just not saying anything. So that's what Proverbs 27.5 is saying. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. We see our brother or sister heading down this destructive path, but maybe we don't want to get involved. Maybe we're afraid of how they will react. Whatever the reason, the proverb is very clear. If we see someone that's caught in this unbroken pattern of sin, that we know if they don't stop, they reap upon themselves corruption, then we must step in. This is likened to what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 7 when he talks about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow and he talks about the fact that he's sorry he made them sorry, but at the same time he's glad he made them sorry because it was a sorry that led to repentance. Right? And so he was glad about that because they would not, he did not, listen to his heart, he did not want them to suffer loss in anything. 
See, we don't want people to suffer loss. When someone is caught in a trespass, if you're caught in a trespass, you don't enjoy the fellowship of your Creator. You don't enjoy a good prayer life. You don't enjoy a good fellowship with other believers. You don't enjoy a good reading and studying of God's Word life. You don't enjoy a good worshiping of the Lord in song life. You don't enjoy life with God. And you need that joy restored. And the way to have that joy restored is not by buying a new Bible or going to a new church. But it's by dealing with that sin that you are caught in. And as believers who care for each other and want to be engaged in each other's lives, we want to come alongside that person because we know if they continue on this path, it will only lead to destruction. And that's the last thing we want them to experience. That's why we have passages like Ephesians 4.15 that say, Speak the truth in love. Now, we love speaking the truth. We just don't always do it in love. We must be very careful. If you have to explain what you said, and the very first thing you say is, Well, I was just... This probably means you didn't say it right. Okay? We say it in love, and that means that the truth that we speak is for that person's benefit, not ours. I just need to get this off my chest. No, you don't. Really, you don't. I mean, you you will continue to live quite well without getting it off your chest. See, and that's what lament psalms are for. To teach us how to get those things off our chest to God. He's the only one who can truly deal with it, right? So that's why we turn those over to Him. And then we speak to each other in love for the benefit of their lives. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. How long is it called today? Today, that's why we deal with it. And what it, he says, why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why we do this. And so thirdly, we must consider as well how to encourage. Consider how to encourage. One a- aspect of us congregating together on a regular basis is so that we can spur each other on toward love and good deeds. So if you marked your place in your Bibles to Hebrews 10, you can turn with me there to Hebrews 10:24. Now, in this context, we have this incredible joy and confidence that we can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that we can have access to Him in a new and living way. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we are to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And we are to hold fast to our confession of who He is. And then, verse 24, we consider... He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The word for stir means to move someone in a certain direction. Similar to the word for provoke in Ephesians 6, 4 that talks about provoking children toward anger. It's the idea of actually leading somebody along. It's like, I want to take you somewhere. Come here, come with me. And the where I want to take you is this place called anger. Okay, that's the idea of provoking a child to anger is I'm doing things that actually lead a person along to that point. Well, same is true with the use of this word, but instead it's the idea of leading someone toward love and good works. See, I know that when I make fun of my kids, when I exalt myself and I belittle them, that I provoke them and I stir them to a place called anger. But I know that when I encourage them, and I speak tenderly and lovingly and patient toward them, 
I know that I encourage them to a place of love and good deeds. And that's what we are to be doing as believers in Christ. I mean, our interaction with one another is to stir each other up toward love and good works. We know someone struggling with anger. We don't try to just push their buttons. See, sometimes we have fun with that. I mean, it's a sport to some of us, right? You know? Sometimes we think we've been called out by God to provide sanctifying moments for others. Right? God called me in your life to provide sanctifying moments for you. Look, let me tell you something. You don't have to plan for that. You will. You will, without even thinking about it. You will provide sanctifying moments for others. There's a reason why Scripture says we have to bear with one another. No one's left out. We all have to bear with one another. We all have to love on each other. And we and, and listen to what he says here. Let us consider. How often have you just stopped in a quiet moment and thought about how you might stir somebody toward love and good deeds? But that's what he's saying. We're to get creative. This might include letting them know when you notice change in their life. This might include helping them avoid tempting situations like helping them plan fewer activities in a given week so that they aren't overwhelmed by a busy schedule. Maybe when possible, try not to spring something on them at the last minute. Make it a point to be clear, tender, and thoughtful when you speak to them. Resist the urge to be impatient or to speak unkindly to them. Resist the urge to bring up a heavy issue, right? 11.30 at night, just before going to bed. Now, every situation and every person is different, and these are just some general ideas. But this is what we do. We come up with ideas for how to stir each other toward love and good deeds. We want each other to succeed. We want each other to be victorious over sin. We want, we want them to walk in the Spirit and not carry out the deeds of the flesh. So this entails considering ways to encourage them, but it also entails finding ways to clear out stumbling blocks. Finding ways to clear out stumbling blocks. Part of helping angry people change is helping them make no provision for their sin. And so we must strive not to be a stumbling block to them by our own words and actions. So when, you know, we stop slurping our drink when they ask, okay? We stop channel slurping when they ask us just to find a channel and stay. Do we forgive them when they ask for it? Do we develop the habit of speaking kindly, tenderly, and lovingly? Are we patient with them? Do we admit our wrongs easily? Are we humble? Or do we act like they're the only sinner in the relationship? Sometimes our behavior can be a stumbling block to an angry person. Do we see ourselves as part of the solution? We must help the angry person avoid events or certain situations where they are easily angered. Some angry people should stop and avoid watching the news for a while. Some should avoid sporting events. Some should especially avoid coaching sporting events. And if that person is serious about dealing with their anger, then that means you don't come along and invite them to go with you to those events. We clear out the stumbling blocks. We help them make no provision for their sin. And then lastly, we continue doing all these things with love. We remain steadfast. And for the long haul, for the long term, how many ever breaths the Lord gives us, we stay in it. 
We bear with them with all patience. We continue with love, whether they change or they don't. We continue with love. Ephesians 4 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And and what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, is that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he just laid out how incredibly worthy this calling is. And the point that he's making is, do you see the worthiness of your calling? If you do, then let us walk in a manner that is worthy of that. There is a connection that we will live these things out because we count the calling worthy. See, when we choose not to live this out, then we are communicating we don't think the calling is really that valuable. But when we choose, when we see the worthiness of this calling, then we live it out with humility and gentleness, with patience. And there's this ongoing aspect of bearing with one another in love. There is this ongoing eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we are tempted to give up, we entrust ourselves to the Lord. We rely on the grace of God. Not only to deal with our own personal anger, but also when we're dealing with the anger of others. It's still about grace. Hear me in this. You will be tempted to be controlled by the actions of others. We all are. Please don't sacrifice your relationship with God because of the sins of others. Have this resolve of Paul. Acts 20.24 says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And think of Christ's example that's given to us in First Peter. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so may we entrust our lives to God and may we freely love others and have the kind of love that endures to the end of time. The kind of love that Stephen and Christ both exemplified for us in their death. You remember Stephen was being stoned and he fell to his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He didn't love himself. He loved God and he loved others and he cared for their souls and he loved them consistently, persistently to the end. He continued in love. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, did the same on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And may we exemplify that kind of love that to the end of our days, we will pour forth love. And if you will, we will continue to love the angry people in our lives to the point of death. That we will, like Christ and Stephen, love them to death. We have seen how anger is treason. We have seen how prevalent it is and how it affects so many areas of our lives. We've learned practically how to deal with anger in our own lives. And as well, we've learned how do we minister to the angry person in our lives in the heat of the moment and in a long-term way. 
And this all happens as we minister to one another within community. And so I've asked Mark, Pastor Mark Skydomer to come up and share with us a little bit about life after live. So this has been an incredibly rich season for us as a church. And the design is that it's not just four weeks and then we go back to life as normal. But really, we want to admonish you and encourage you to, to get connected in community, to stay connected in community. Because as Pastor Andrew was talking about this morning, this is how we're called to live. So here's the real simple application. If you did not get into a small group for live, we want to invite you to do so now. If you go to the website, yourchurch.com, there's a button right on the homepage, and you can click to be a part of a small group. And we want to encourage you to do that. There's been incredible stories of what God has done and is doing. Some of you signed up to be part of a temporary live group, and those are coming to an end. And I want to say to you, don't just let it end. Get connected into a longer term, a long-term small group. And so again, go and, and sign up so that you can help us help you. But we want to do this together as we live this out. That's the whole idea of live, is that we would live it out so that it doesn't just change us for this short season or doesn't change us really, but that we live it out for the years to come, that we would be different um, six months from now, even six years from now. Thanks, Mark. And as well, as we live in community with one another, we want to learn how to minister to one another and how to care for each other. And that is why that is where soul care training comes in. And we do that through growing classes. There's classes that are taking place starting uh, this fall. We had a great run this last year of Growing 100. And we have Growing 100 starting again September 8th is the Sunday morning at 9.45. And then September 10th would be the Tuesday night class. So we offer it in two ways. On Sunday mornings and on Tuesday nights, exact same class, just two different opportunities. You can register online for those classes. For those of you who have attended Growing 100, then there are also Growing 200 classes that are being made available to you on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. We want, as a church, to care for one another, to bear with one another, to love on one another, and to learn how to do that by using God's sufficient and authoritative word and let us together as a church be built up into christ let's pray father thank you so much for the blessed opportunity to be able to learn from you thank you for giving us your holy spirit that helps us learn and as well helps us put your word into practice lord we understand that your word teaches and that it rebukes and that it corrects and trains us in righteousness lord that we might be equipped for every good work so again If we want to be equipped for every good work, then we will welcome your teaching. We will welcome your rebuking. And we will welcome your correction and training. We love you, O God, that you would invest so much in us and care for us and love us like you do. Thank you for bearing with us. May we in turn bear with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you'd like to have someone pray for you, pray with you, There'll be some folks up here to do that, and they're available to you. Have a wonderful day. You are loved and appreciated.